Today on Act News Daily. For a real world situation out here, you know, our blocks are, are big enough in size where we can really evaluate, you know, you know, can we be sustainable with this, with these yield increases that we're trying to do. So we try to keep this thing real. We do break it down by the crop season too, or by the crop year. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton and I just wrapped up an event. It wasn't my event. I was at an event. I was at the Hills Ag Outlook Annual Forum, and there's a lot of good information shared today. Talked to quite a few different farmers and folks in the banking industry, but always a lot to learn when you come to events like this. I'm sure there is Delaney, and I did a bit of learning myself, attended a webinar talking a little bit more about Russia and Ukraine and really how that impacts us from a geopolitical standpoint. They talked a bit about how it affects us um, from a cyber standpoint. I don't think a whole lot of people at this point have really been talking about cyber attacks or the possibility of these, but uh, that's a, a small topic that came up in the webinar today, and hopefully we will get to talk a little bit more with one of the hosts later this week from that webinar, but I've got to say there's new things that really just keep rolling out about Russian progress, about um, you know what they're wanting and, and things of that nature, but certainly interesting. It is certainly interesting. And actually, one interesting thing I learned today, I always have my journalist hat on. And so unless someone tells me something's off the record, I always think it's public information. But uh, Bruce Ratstetter was supposed to speak at this event that I was at today, Ashton. And Bruce is, of course, one of the folks trying to push forward some pipelines here in Iowa and across the Midwest that would essentially carry biofuels in them has received a lot of mixed messaging from folks here. And apparently he decided not to come today or part of the rumor and why he didn't show up today, Ashton, and sent a video recording in his place was because he was anticipating protesters to be at this small ag event in Southeast Iowa because of the pipeline that he's trying to push forward. So that was certainly some interesting side news. And again, it was a rumor, but uh, interesting nonetheless. Well, Delaney, some news that I definitely wanted to talk about today is concerning some grain elevator safety. Structural failure is said to be the cause of damage to a Landis Cooperative concrete grain silo in the town of Yetter in Calhoun County. And I think this story is coming out of Iowa, if I'm not mistaken, Delaney. Um, it's just talking That's about... correct. Calhoun okay. County is in Iowa. Yes. Okay. I thought so. It's just saying the county, so I, I wasn't quite sure on that. But now that I know that I'm in the right place, I'll move on to saying that a large part of the wall fell to the ground while a train was being loaded on site around 4.30 a.m. yesterday. Yesterday. There were no injuries and there was no fire risk. And a statement from Landis Cooperative says that crews were on site working to clean up fallen debris and anticipate that all railway blockages to be cleared by the evening. And I don't have any update to this. Hopefully they're all back up and running. But that's all I have to talk about that story. Just concerning a little bit of grain elevator safety. And honestly, the image from this looks like quite a bit of a loss. Well, Ashton, speaking of grains and grain safety, we could continue to see the looming
looming threat that perhaps Ukraine will not get their crops planted this spring season. While we saw mostly peaceful uh, overnight action there in Kiev, the fighting does continue along the northern, eastern, and southern borders of Ukraine, while Russian troops are still anxious to take over important cities. But we're starting to see the toll of war, and I hate using that word war, but we are starting to see the toll, especially on the Russian army side. They've already lost quite a bit of people. The death toll is mounting. And as we're continuing to see the impact on agriculture, it's still a little bit unknown. But we do know that a lot of countries have come together and said that they will not completely cut Russia off, but will be um, not doing a lot of business with Russia. And of course, they are a big producer, big pusher of oil. A lot of countries have said that they will cut reliance on Russian energy sources, but haven't said that they will shut Russia off altogether. We've gotten some action about SWIFT, of course, that I mentioned the other day. But it sounds like they are taking place in a second round of negotiations today in Ukraine after a little really happened in the round that happened on Monday. So we could potentially see something come out of these talks later today, but it's mostly assumed that no action really will be taken as of today. It's going to be a really ongoing long process from what I've been hearing. And, you know, in the State of the Union address that President Biden gave yesterday, he talked a little bit more about Russia and Ukraine, Delaney, but he also talked about some things that are really going on in our home country of the U.S. And we've seen some mixed responses. And I I think that that's kind of granted. But Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association told Brownfield Ag News that President Biden's mentioned many problems that America is facing, like high gas prices, inflation, and, and of course, the invasion of Russia. He said that Quote, in our view, agriculture and ethanol can provide solutions. We can help with many of those problems. We just need to be given the opportunity. And he went on to talk a little bit more about instead of releasing oil from the strategic reserves, the U.S. should be releasing the productivity and ingenuity of American farmers and ethanol producers. And he said that if you really want to get Putin's attention, we think you've got to put sanctions on his oil and gas exports, right? We get about 600,000 barrels a day of crude oil and other petroleum products from Russia. And that means we're sending about $60 million per day to a country that is attacking our friends in Ukraine. And we think that's got to stop. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. definitely a a big point that Cooper made. And Delaney, if you want to, you know, say some words about that, I will definitely allow you to, but I just want to add in some more things talking about the State of the the Union address because Shauna Morris with the U.S. Dairy Export Federation and National Milk Producers Federation told Brownfield Ag News that there have long been antitrust exemptions for shipping carrier companies and that Biden support will hopefully encourage legislative reform. And what she's talking about is President Biden outlining plans to crack down on shipping issues. And so that's another thing that we've seen. So really kind of both sides of the story when we're looking at what agriculturalists are thinking or what they thought of the State of the Union. You know, on one hand, we have folks like Jeff Cooper who are um, 
not speaking really in a, a negative way, but just th- saying that, you know, there are things that we can do and and maybe not agreeing so much as what we're doing. But then there's also people like Shauna Morris with dairy who are um, maybe advocating a little bit more for plans that Biden has. So it's a really a toss up. It is. And I think just like you're saying there, Jeff Cooper mentioned another way, or it's, it's a struggle to understand why we continue to pump money, you know, through oil or other products into Russia as they're continuing to attack. And I think that's where we're going to see, I think, OPEC meet later this week, if I'm not mistaken, and may see some updates there as well. But yeah, that's certainly a lot of attention being placed there. And Ashley, I know you mentioned yesterday, you shared a little bit about the crop insurance numbers, because of course, that Multiple commodities had record high crop insurance prices set, spring crop insurance prices set aside from corn. We saw wheat and soybeans have some of their highest levels ever recorded. But we also forgot to mention earlier this week that we saw the cattle on feed report released last week, which showed cattle and calves on feed for slaughter in the United States totaled 12.2 million head on February 1st, up 1% from February 2021, and the highest February 1st inventory since the series began in 1996. They also mentioned in the report that placements in feedlots during January totaled 2 million head, 1% below 2021, and net placements were 1.94 head during January, placements of cattle and calves weighing less than 600 pounds were 420,000 head, 600 to 700 pounds were 445,000, et cetera, et cetera. And marketings of fed cattle during January totaled about 3% below 2021. So all in all, we're seeing less marketings and more cattle on feed, which certainly may have its impact here and way into the commodity market fashion. Well, Delaney, one other thing that I wanted to talk about today is down in Argentina. We've been following along with a drought that's really plagued much of South America. And it looks like Argentina got some heavy rains in their farm belt region, and they expect more to come. And it alleviates some fears about the drought, but some forecasters are growing concerned that this is going to be too much water and that's going to affect soy and corn harvests, unfortunately, for them. And so I uh, just wanted to update you really when it came to weather in Argentina specifically. You know, when you're going through a drought like they have been going through and you get that much rain, it really shocks the soil, shocks the ground. And so I don't expect um, things to really go well for them over the next couple of days if they do get as much rain as they're anticipating. Yeah, it's like for a long time they were wanting and needing rain, and now it sounds like they're going to get a flood of rain that they definitely needed more of like a drip rather than a big full on uh, thunderstorm. Yeah, and I feel like that's really just how the story goes. I think Mother Nature loves to play these cruel jokes on us whenever we have been covering these droughts. I feel more and more that we've talked a little bit about how these rains come in and really just are kind of like a a flood, you know, more than we really needed or wanted. But either way, Delaney, they did get some rain. All right. Well, that certainly 
didn't do a whole lot to the markets today. Of course, we're still continuing to try and watch some South American news, Ashton, but most of the attention is turned over to what's happening in Ukraine. So what do you say we hop in here and take a look at the market? Let's do it. Well, we certainly saw finishing in the red for a lot of grains today. We saw some strength earlier on in the market today. I checked them around noon and still we're fighting our way into some positive territory in old crop, but we did not finish in the green. March corn closed three quarters of a cent lower and at 739. The May down three quarters as well to close at 725. December corn down 15 and a half cents today to close at 609 and a quarter. And in soybeans today, the May contract gave up 27 cents to close at 16.63. November down 24 and a half cents to close at 14.52 and a half. Wheat was the only grain today to see some green on the screen and mostly old crops today. The May contract up 75 cents, which is the daily limit to close at 10.59. The Dece down 40 and a half cents to close at 8.92. Hopping over into the livestock pit today, we saw mixed trade in the cattle complex as live cattle finished lower, feeder cattle finished higher. April live cattle today down 42.5 cents to close at a buck 4100. The June down 55 cents to close at 136.50. Feeder cattle today, as I mentioned, had some moves to the upside as the April contract added $3.20 to close at a buck 63. The May up 275, settling the day out at a buck 68. And in lean hogs, front months, green, deferred contracts in the red. April today added a dime to close at 106.30. Looking out into the June, that's where we started to see some weakness down 32.5 cents to close at 116.45. And lastly, wrapping things up here, Ashton, with the class three dairy milk futures. The April today down 11 cents to close at 23.06. The May down a nickel to close at 23.02. Ashton, we're going to talk about precision planting today with a gentleman that I'm sure many of you have heard speak or maybe follow along with on social media. But as you're gearing up for planting this spring, Jason Webster of Precision Planting is going to share his outlook on what's coming down the pipeline for precision technology. Well, folks, as we continue to look at planting season, which is right around the corner, I think it's interesting to look at different trends and things that are coming to light as we look at what technology to adopt on our operations for planting season this year or maybe in the future. Chatting today with Jason Webster, commercial agronomist at Precision Planting. Jason, you've been a busy guy traveling all over, I think, the U.S., as I understand it, giving speeches to a lot of different folks. So we certainly appreciate you squeezing us in today. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we've been traveling around the country doing what we call our winter PTI farm tour. I think we uh, we started off in Michigan five weeks ago, worked our way down through Ohio, cut through Indiana, a few stops in Illinois. Then we went out to South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, and this week we finished up in Wisconsin. So, yeah, we've had a chance to talk to thousands of growers over the past few weeks, and we're just finishing up our tour. Well, that's certainly exciting. I'm sure it's awesome to get back out there and get in front of some audiences. But on these travels that you've been doing, what have you been sharing with folks as far as what you've learned on the precision planting research from farms in 2021 and heading into this year's growing season? Well, what we designed the winter tour to be is is conversations about profitability. 
how can we make more money on the farm in 2022? So we've taken you know, our, our research farm is 400 acres in size. We we published over 160 agronomy trials this past year. And on this farm, this research farm, this PTI farm, we rank every single treatment that we test on this farm. And I put it in a database. I can rank it by yield, show which one gave me the highest yield increase. But more importantly, we can rank it by profitability. And so what we did over this, this, this tour traveling the country is we talked about the top 10 things from our research farm that made us the most money. And then we spin it around and say, okay, what were the mistakes? What were the failures? What cost me the most money this past year in 2021? And we just had a great agronomic conversation. Um, and and that's, that's the beauty of this thing is, is we get farmers involved. We don't just stand up there and talk to them. We ask them questions and it's a conversation. Every day is a little different and it sure was a lot of fun. So Jason, as you've been traveling around and sharing with folks this year, what practices made money and what practices did you see that lost money? Well, I think it's interesting as we look at the the things that made us the most money. My high management corn is a research farm. We have the opportunity to really go all out and say, okay, what's it, what does it take to grow high yielding corn? Now we have some things that I, I say we cheat a little bit with. We have drainage. We have excellent drainage on this farm. We created a water recycling program on this farm where I put tile in, I drain excess water from the farm, hold it in a reservoir, and then recycle the, the rainwater in that reservoir to irrigate and fertigate with during the season. So it's a lot of fun, you know, talking with growers about what did it take to get high yield corn. And we go through where we're at with corn. Our, our highest yield on this farm to date is 368 bushel corn. We talk about, you know, how does that compare to county average or status quo corn? But I think it's interesting because we bring growers to this farm in the summertime. We take them out to our high high yield trials, and a farmer will always ask me, "Jason, okay, you're trying to grow high yield corn. I get it, but are you making any more money in doing mm-hmm. it versus just growing, say, 200, 225 bushel corn in a low management program?" And that's a legitimate question, and I think it's very interesting that our number one revenue maker on the farm this past year was our high yielding corn. We grew an extra 91 bushel corn to the acre with all the the management techniques that we put on, uh, put in our protocol program. And that 91 bushel gave us an extra $200 an acre net profit. And so we talk about this. Yes, it can be a lot of work going through this high management, this extra management, trying to get more, more yield out of corn, but it's working. We're actually making money. It was our number one revenue maker this past year. It was amazing. Now, Jason, I got to ask, how many acres are you talking here that it did increase revenue? And secondly, with especially, you know, these recent Ukraine invasion fertilizer prices maybe going even higher yet, do you still think that's going to be the case here in 2022 with uh, who knows how high inputs will go this year? Yeah, I mean, that's just it. I mean, we're, we're a real world situation out here. You know, our blocks are, are big enough in size where we can really evaluate, you know, you know, can we be sustainable with this, with these yield increases that we're trying to do? So we try to keep this thing real. We do break it down by the crop season too, or by the crop year. So every year, you know, we use a rolling 12 month corn price as well as a soybean price. So we start, you know, averaging our pricing on, on grain October while we're harvesting till the, till the next October. That gives us that calendar year of pricing new crop corn. And so all that's factored in the ROI, the, the pricing for that given year. And then if I have multi-years data, I can start se- segmenting and say, okay, 
that year, even with that commodity price, even with that crop input price, because that's another thing that's changing now too. You know, historical crop input pricing, and that needs to be factored into this ROI thing too. And so we're changing these prices as we see them, as we pay for them. It's figured in, it's documented, and then we're using that in all of our return numbers. So Jason, any common questions or insights that farmers were asking you about during your tour this year? Oh, fertility is is one of the number one things. It's kind of broken into two segments. One, this this high nitrogen uh, price situation. You know, guys are looking at corn after corn rotation. Some of those are just completely disappearing because of the high price of soybeans and the fight we're having for acres on corn and soybeans. So corn after corn acres are coming out. Beans are going back in. We talk about how we're going to feed beans. Actually, high management beans came up number three on our top 10 list. So we kind of go through that. The other thing in regard to fertility, not just nitrogen, but it's dry fertilizer. So historical high prices of DAP and potash. This is, this is, you know, guys are asking, what do I, or what can I do different to be more efficient and get some of this cost per acre down? And we have an interesting fertility program here at the farm. We, uh, everything is banded. So there's no broadcast applications of fertilizer allowed on our farm, except for our side-by-side testing. We are strip-till. In our strip-till program, we have dry fertilizer that we band underneath the strips. And then we come in with a planter and we have what we call a five-point touch. So we, we can put on different fertilizer products in different placements. We're running three tanks, three liquid tanks and pumps on our planter to get this five-point touch liquid placement. And I'll tell you, it, 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 it sounds extreme. And, and I, we have to, I tell farmers, bear with me for a moment. I know it's difficult thinking about three tanks and pumps on a planter. But let me show you what we're doing with these bands of different fertilizers, how we're setting it up, what it's doing to yield and what it's doing to profits. And what we're doing with this is we're reallocating our fertilizer dollars. We're not using the same rates of damp and potash as a dry fertilizer in the fall like we always have done in the past. We reduce those rates of fertilizer to pay for this liquid program on the planter. We're picking up the banding efficiency, the high concentrated bands of fertilizer, and it almost ends up being almost like an an IV of fertilizer right into the root system of a plant. It's super efficient. And and we're showing the advantages of banding the, the, you know, it kind of, you know, the, 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 I guess the, the scale that we're looking at, can it actually reduce the amount of dry fertilizer we're spreading? And I, I usually tell growers this, I'm trading dollars. I'm still spending roughly the same amount of money as we have in the past. I'm just kind of trading out a little bit. I'm losing, I'm using less dry fertilizer, and, and trading those dollars to go on the planter. And so one of two things happens. One, I end up with a free liquid program on the planter because I'm still spending the same amount of dollars. And two, I end up with a free insurance program in the form of a starter fertilizer program on the planter. We get a cool, wet spring. I need to put phosphorus, you know, have it available to get me through. I, I'm really worried. One of the things that, that we focus on in our agronomic Um, on our agronomic tour is we talk about when corn starts to initiate yield determination. And that's a V5 when we set that, that, that ear girth, you know, congratulations, you've set a 14, 16, 18, or heaven forbid a 20, 20 round on that ear. That happens at V5. What happens if you don't have the right fertility program to capture as many rows around on that ear as possible? We can't go back and do it again. So we're all about setting a foundation, making sure we have very little stress up until V5. And then we feel like we probably can have a little stress if we have to. We can get through it, but at least we've got through that V5 ear initiation fine. And to do this, 
we have our five-point liquid fertilizer touch, and it really is amazing to watch how this thing can work, increase yield, and increase profits. And Jason, as you look at 2022 and that mindset of how do I continue to increase profits, what are you going to be testing this year to see what can increase profits for producers? Well, we're going to continue with a lot of stuff that we're testing so we can get multi-years on it. I want to be able to replicate. You know, take, for example, um, one number three was high-yield beans. So we ended up growing 110 bushel beans out here at the research farm this past year. And one of the things that I thought was just really interesting was the amount of four bean pods in our high management trials and soybeans. And this summer we took, we took growers out into the fields. Okay. Into these, these, these soybean fields. And I said, look at the number of four bean pods that are in this particular field and, and in these trials that we have, you know, this, this past year was my 35, 35th year of farming, I guess. And I have never seen the amount of four bean pods in a given field, nor a given soybean trial. And so now the question comes, well, how did we get them? Was it just a soybean variety? No, I don't think so. That was part of it. it. It did give us a nice response in our management program, but that's, that's what it was. It was setting the stage up with this five point touch liquid program that we have on the planter, different products in different places. I often refer to it as let's put fertilizer at the mouth of a plant. Let's put it in the right spot so we can access it efficiency quickly and let's let it set the stage. With soybeans, it's kind of like what we talked about with corn setting that yield at V5 early in the season. Soybeans, to get a four bean pod, it's the same way. We've got to attack it early. We know what flowering time with soybeans, we're going to abort probably 50% of the flowers on a, on a soybean plant. High death loss there. If we can set a, a foundational program up early with our five-point touch program, we can keep that bean plant happy, keep more of those flowers, get more pods, and maybe we can encourage it to give us a few more of these four bean pods. But if we can get this four bean pod situation in beans, there's no doubt in my mind, we can increase yield. And we did it this past year, getting yields up to 110 bushel to the acre. Absolutely. So there's going to be a lot of things that producers, I'm sure, are watching now more than ever as they're trying to mitigate those costs and increase profitability overall. But Jason, before I let you go, if folks want to connect with you on social media, I know you're a guy on Twitter. You like to tweet a lot of things as you're out about and traveling. How can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Jay Webster Ag. You can hit us up there on the website at Precision Planting. You can go to precisionplanting.com. And probably one way that, that growers can connect with us is we do a, a video series, and it's called InsidePTI.com. They can go to InsidePTI.com. You can register for videos that we put together out in the field talking about these four bean pods and some of the other trials that we're working on. It's totally free. You just got to tell us who you are and give us an email address, and we send these these videos right directly to your email box. These are going to start happening here in the next couple of weeks. So guys can, can jump on and, and uh, in, at InsidePTI.com. We'd love to have you. Fantastic. Well, Jason, thanks again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks again there to Jason for coming on and chatting with us today. I'm seeing a whole lot more folks on Twitter announce that they are getting into the fields, prepping, or some even in my area, Delaney, that are really already done with planting season. So excited for what's to come. Yes, it's certainly crazy to think that your area is already in the full swing of things. And up here in the Midwest, we're just a very short time away from planters hitting the ground. 
Well, Delaney, we are going to keep on entertaining and educating our audience through planting season. So folks can tune in at agnewsdaily.com. And if there's anything that you guys are wanting to hear this planting season, be sure to drop us a note on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.